Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Well, Jehovah, the great winemaker in the sky, the desert God, makes you wait. And nobody likes to wait. Nobody likes to wait. But God says, wait. There is more about waiting on God than the suddenlies of God. How many love the suddenlies of God? Don't you love the suddenlies? I love the suddenlies. I like now, 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 now. Nobody likes no. None of us like no. But God says to wait. There's a man in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, who had been waiting some time. The Bible says that he had been born blind since birth. The Bible also says that he wasn't that old, yet he wasn't that young. But he had been waiting his whole lifetime up until that point for something to happen to him. And you know how it happened? Jesus got kicked out of the temple. So listen, you rebels out there, if you're getting kicked out from church to church, there's still hope for you. Because Jesus got, I'll leave that to the Holy Spirit and to the pastors right here to help you, to get you corrected. But there's still hope for you because Jesus was kicked out of the temple. And because he was kicked out of the temple, he comes across this, this blind man begging. Now the disciples were asking him, Lord, why is this blind man begging? Why, why is he blind? I, I believe with all my heart, we need to ask God questions. Don't, don't, don't look it up. Don't go to Google. Just wait on God. Study God's word. Ask him questions. And I'm telling you, it's in the journey that you find things that you never were looking for. And God gives you nuggets of truth. He gives you nuggets of truth. And when the Holy Spirit gives you a nugget of truth, it can't be taken away because it's called revelation. And then you look and see what the theologians say. And then you look and see what the commentators say. And you get so excited because most of us have not been in Bible college. And we go, look, I knew that. And so and so, John Stott said that. And I see that. You know, and you become, you get excited. And nobody can take that revelation away from you. But in John chapter 9, Jesus is walking by, sees this blind man begging. And what does he do? Just like Jesus does, he has compassion. The Bible says this blind man is healed. He's healed. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for some people to be healed. I'm waiting for the greater things of God. I'm waiting for this miracle of God. I got that need healing. I got family members right now that need salvation. I got family members right now that are dealing with mental problems and emotional problems, and God, they need a touch from you. And I know that if you touch them, I know that they'll be saved, I know that they'll be rescued, and I know that they'll be changed forever. But this guy, man, he was waiting. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes Jesus. And man, can I tell you this? Jesus will sneak up on you. When you least expect it, Jesus will go, boo! He'll do that. You could be brushing your teeth in the bathroom, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will just say, ta-da, here I am. You're not even thinking of God, and God shows up. And you know why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. God is real to me. God is so real to me. And I love him. And I just want to be close to him. People have asked me over the years, how do you hear God's voice? What, what makes you so special? I'm not special. Ask my wife. <laughs> she reminds me every day. 
I'm not special. In fact, I am anti-special. If you were ever to live with me, I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not an easy person to live with, man. I have my problems. I have my ups and downs. But I love me some Jesus. I love God with all of my heart. I'm not a perfect man. I've failed God many, many times. And so I can speak from experience that God never, ever gives up on us. Whatever he has planned and purposed in his heart that you would become, the Bible says that he is the author and finisher of our faith, that it's going to happen as long as we don't let go of his hand. God will never let go of you as long as we don't let go of his hand. But we need to change. How do we change? This man was waiting for something to happen. I don't know, maybe he thought it would never happen. And all of a sudden, the kingdom of God has come upon him. And now there's, there's this great stirring in John chapter 9. Now people are angry in John chapter 9. They're angry because Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. They're angry because the works of God weren't coming through their ministry. Hello? They're angry because of this. They're angry because of that. And they're at all the time, they're not even looking at the own blindness that they have. You know, Jesus, when he does something, it's not just for one person. Jesus does something inside of us so that we will glorify God in everything that we say, in everything that we do, and God was about to be glorified because there's a person in the Bible that says, hey, not at any time had God opened up any blind eyes. This is the first time that we see in the Bible where it's mentioned that, hey, since the beginning of time, has he opened up anybody's blind eyes? And now this guy's eyes are being opened. John chapter 9. I want to start with verse 13. Jesus already opened his eyes. They're asking him where Jesus is. He says, I don't know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and washed, and I washed, and I see. There some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. He's doing things that aren't lawful on this day. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. First of all, he's saying, I don't know where he is. I don't know who this guy is. And now that he sees, now he's coming to his mind, now he's thinking about this whole miracle. Man, he's got to be a prophet. That's who this guy is. He's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received from his sight. Even though they saw this guy with opened eyes, they didn't believe what they were seeing. Man, some of us can be so blinded in our hearts. Some of us can be so blinded in our hearts. Even when we read the scriptures, scriptures sometimes we're so blinded in our hearts because, it, well, I could, I could believe that Matt can be blessed, but I can't be blessed. I believe that so-and-so can be blessed, but I can't be blessed. And there's a blindness that's on our heart that God wants to unveil today, that God wants to rip off of your heart because he wants you to see yourself 
as he sees you, that you are the beloved of God, that you are the loved of God, that there isn't anything that God wouldn't do for you if you would only ask, and then ask again. Matthew 7, 7, just keep asking, just keep knocking, just keep believing, and God's going to do it. Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, is this your son? Now, watch what happens. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We know who he is, but watch because of fear. Watch what happens. But by what means now he sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, and he will speak for himself. Why they said that, the Bible says because they were afraid. They were afraid of the pastors kicking them out of church. They were afraid of the religious rulers kicking them out of church, so we're not going to say anything because we know anybody that hangs around Jesus, anybody that talks about Jesus, gets in trouble. So we're not going to mention Jesus' name, we're not going to talk about Jesus, hello? We're not going to say anything because anytime you open your mouth about Jesus, guess what? Something's going to happen. You can say God in the world all you want, but you mention that word Jesus, that name that's above every name, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And Jesus, right here, something was happening inside the hearts of the people. Listen, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Nobody wanted to be disfellowshipped. Nobody wanted to stop coming to church. They loved their church. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. Tell us the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see I'm not the same anymore. I'm not the same anymore. I don't know who he is. I don't know anything about him, but I know that I'm not the same anymore. All I know is that I'm changed. All I know is that I'm different. All I know is that I was blind and now I see and I don't know who he is, but I'm different. I'm changed. Listen, people of God, when you know Jesus, when you know the real Jesus, Everything in your life begins to change. Everything will change. All the good will change. All the bad will change. Everything that you had known in your former life is going to change. I didn't know when I came to Jesus that Jesus was God. I knew that he was the son of God. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't go to church since I was a little boy, and the night that I got saved, I called on the name of Jesus, and guess what happened? All heaven hit my room, and I wasn't the same. I repented. I threw everything away. I got saved. I was born again in the middle of the night, September 25th, 1996, all because I met the man named Jesus Christ. And once I met the man named Jesus Christ, everything changed in my life. I'm not the same. Before I, I came to God, before I came to Christ, how, how many of us did those foxhole prayers? God, if you get me out of this, 
God, if, if you just, I promise I'll go to church. I promise I'll do this. I promise I'll do that. I was one of those guys. Three months earlier, I cried out to God. I never said Jesus, but I cried out to God. I said, God, if you, I was in the middle of a lot of bad stuff, man. A lot of bad stuff. Stuff that I can't even repeat. A lot of bad stuff. And I said, God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll go to church. I promise. And you know what he does? Boop. Got me out of the situation. Two weeks later, I feel a little conviction. I'm like, well, you know, I, uh, I'll, I'll go next Sunday, Lord. I'll go next Sunday. And my sin got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse, and things got worse. And guess what? God had me in a headlock. He twisted me up like a pretzel, and he made me holler uncle. And once I cried on the name of Jesus, all heaven hit my room, and I got saved that night. I got saved out of the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Nevertheless, I have something against you because you left your first love. Repent and finish your first works, or else I'll come and I'll remove the lampstand from you. God was telling me tonight was my night that I was going to die. I was having chest pains that day. I've been on methamphetamine for seven days, living on it for, for three years, and I was having chest pains that day. And I'm like, how does he know that? <laughs> I didn't know that he was writing to a church. All I knew is that Jesus, the red print, these are the words of Jesus. And if I read these words, that's what Jesus said. And so I read all the red print, and the red print came and hit me like a ton of bricks. And I began to cry, and I began to repent, and saying, how does he know this? What? It was like the book was written for me. Jesus is alive. He's living. He's breathing. He's living inside of you. You're not the same. You're not the same. Well, I want to change. Then change. The Bible says if you read this and you do what it says, change is a coming. Change is a coming. Well, I tripped up again. Change is a coming. Well, I made a mistake again. Change is a coming. Well, I sinned against. Change is a coming. Why? Because you're not going to give up. Because God's not going to give up on you. He's not going to give up on you. And then you know what he does for this young man that was born blind? You know what he does? Not only does he heal him, but he saves him. He saves him. He says, I'm not the same anymore. You know, right now, we can change our behavior. We can make behavior modifications and still not have a change of heart. You know what I'm talking about. Huh? You know, sometimes when we get in the presence of God and we get in worship, we can't even lift our hands up because we're held in guilt and we're in shame. And you look around you and you just want to cry, and you just want to scream out. Everybody around you is celebrating, and you're closing your mouth, and you're, going, and, you're, and you're ridden by guilt and shame, and God says, I want to free you from that, because who the Son sets free is free indeed. I want you to run this race. I want you to run it strong. I don't want you to get tripped up anymore. I want you to run it. I don't want you to be jealous anymore. I don't want you to be envious anymore. I don't want you to be bitter anymore. I don't want you to be any of those things because I want you to be set free. Because if you're set free, guess what? You're going to set other people free. And that's when the enemy circles around you. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Oh, you're not, you're not all that. You're not all that in a bag of chips. You're not that. You're not that at all. You're not that at all. Who do you think you are? And that's the voice of the enemy because God will never speak like that you got to silence the voice of the enemy. How do you silence the voice of the enemy? By doing this. 
by getting in his word. By getting in his word, by getting in worship. Turn the worship up. When the sound gets louder, turn the worship up. When the sound gets louder, and praise your way through it. Fight your way through it. Battle your way through it. Right now, man, come on. We're living in the end times. We're living in the end times. And this church, I have to tell you what I saw. This church, I saw the hand of God putting a jewel in the crown of Jesus. The hand of God, his own hand, putting a jewel in the crown of Jesus. Why? Because this is a special place. This is a jewel to God. You are special to God. You, hey, listen, you've been, you've been praying to turn this community around, and God's laughing. I put nations in your heart. I put nation in your heart. God's going to give you more if you would only ask. I'm going to save the prophetic word later for them. I have a prophetic word for your pastors, but I'm going to save it for later. This guy is different. He's not the same. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Verse 35. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who may see may be made blind. He was talking about the religious rulers of the day. I've come to take your sight away because you say that you see and you do not see. This young man could not see and I made him see and now he sees me and now he is not the same. Once you see the face of Jesus, you are not the same. I keep telling people this all the time. Encounter God. Encounter God. Well, I've tried. I've tried. I don't hear his voice like you do. I don't have. Then stay until you do. You have to be so hungry for God that nothing else matters. I told my wife, Denise, we were talking about seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. How do you seek first the kingdom of God? And my wife loves sparkly things. She loves diamonds. Come on, help me out, lady. She, huh, she'll, we'll be walking in the mall, and she'll go, squirrel. As soon as she sees something sparkling out of her mind, and she just loves sparkly things, she loves shiny things, even on the beach. She just loves the water, how it sparkles, how it shines. And, she, and I said, honey, what if I told you right now that there was a big old diamond like this buried in the backyard? I mean, it was worth billions of dollars. What would you do? She'd be out there with a pick and a hoe, grabbing some friends, trying to rent some, rent some diggers, trying to rent some stuff. She would be doing, she would dig that whole backyard up until she found that diamond. That's just how it is when you go after God. You spend all your time, you spend all your resources, you do everything you can until you meet face to face with God. And I can tell you this, that God will meet you wherever you're at. God will meet you wherever you're at. He's not hiding behind a bush. He's not, you pick this up and you say, God, that was good for Moses, but I want to have my own relationship. God, that was good for Paul, but I want to have my own relationship. God, that was good for Peter, but I want to have my own relationship. I'm a New Testament believer. We are not Old Testament saints. We are New Testament believers. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and there's a lost and dying world. I'm not the same. There are going to be people around your life that are going to tell you, oh, that's just Joe from the hood. 
That's just Joe from the block. You're not the same. You're not the same. Silence the naysayers. Let them see that you're changed by the love that you have for one another. And Jesus said this. He said, and this is why the church right now has to come together, because Jesus said, Father, I pray that they may be one just as you and I are one. And right now we see so much division inside the church, so much division within families, so much division within even just a church, a local church, and people have sections and groups and this and that, and God says, I want you to love one another. Man, are you guys going to be known for love? I used to tell my church back in the day, I don't care about the signs and wonders. I love them. I don't care about prophecy. I love it. I don't care about miracles. I love it. But I would rather somebody come in this building and say, man, those people love one another. I've never felt anything like that in my life because there's nothing more powerful than the love of God. There's nothing more powerful. That's the atmosphere of heaven. That's the atmosphere of heaven. So you better get used to it, Bubba. You're going to have to love me whether you like me or not. I'm going to be with you forever. Forever, for all eternity. Because I plan on getting there. I plan on being there. The Bible says to run your race. Make your election sure. Test yourself to see whether you're in the faith or not. I tell people this. Don't, don't get down on yourself, man. We all have mountains to climb. We all have things that we want to change in our life, and you can do it because you're in a company of believers. Man, you know what I felt? You know what I felt just a little while ago? I'm like, God, you're going to do it. They're on the cusp, and they don't even know. They're on the cusp, and they don't even know. You don't even know what God's going to do in this place. You don't even know, but I'm going to tell you in a few minutes. Turn your attention right now. Turn your attention with me, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 9. We're going from John 9 to Acts, chapter 9. I didn't plan that. I didn't even, I didn't plan that at all. But we're going to look at another man who could see. We looked at a man who couldn't see. Jesus opened his eyes. We're going to look at a man who could see. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He didn't like you guys. He hated you guys. He wanted to see you guys in prison. Paul did not like Christians. He did not like people that followed the way. He was a hater. He was a religious zealot, thinking that he was doing God a service when he was imprisoning Christians. Kind of what we're getting ready for right now in America. And asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Lord, who are you? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Listen, I want to stop right here for a minute. I'm going to go off on a little side trail, but I feel it's important, and I'm going to come back. Any time that any one of us comes against a church, talk about people in the body of Christ, 
talk about other ministries, what you're doing is you're poking and you're jabbing Jesus himself. That's why the Bible says, Paul speaking, that's why many of you are sick. Because you're taking the cup unworthily. You're not discerning the Lord's body when you take communion. If you have anything against anybody, you need to get it out of your heart. None of us should be talking about other churches. None of us should be talking about other ministries. Now, I know that there are prophetic people that will kind of spank the church (laughs) or whatever they're trying to do, but she is the bride of Jesus, and he will do everything he can to protect her, even against us, even against us. Be very careful how you speak about other people that are in the body of Christ. Be very careful how you speak about your brothers and sisters. That's why Paul was saying, I I pray that you're of one mind. I pray that you're of one heart. And that's why he was so fearful, like when he dies, who's going to take care of you? Who's going to take care of you? But I found Timothy. I found Timothy. I found some select young men that I could pour my life into that are going to protect the flock. Who's going to take care of you? He says, hey, you're persecuting me. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. He was on a forced fast, man. Could you imagine? All of a sudden, he has perfect 20-20 vision, and now his sight is taken away. Now he's blinded. He hears a voice. He hears the voice of Jesus. You know, one thing I love about Paul, Paul met the ascended Lord. He didn't just meet the risen Christ, he met the ascended Lord that was already seated at the right hand of the Father. The other apostles knew Jesus in the flesh. They knew him as a man. They seen the transfiguration, but Paul met the ascended Lord. He met the ascended Lord. He heard the Lord's voice. The Lord's shining in a bright. You know, we say we want to see Jesus, but in order to see Jesus, we have to die. We have to physically die. Nobody can see the face of God and live. Nobody. But God in his mercy and his grace, let him see a type of glory. Let him see his type of glory. Man, I can only imagine that. I can only imagine that. I probably wouldn't have ate for a week. You know, Pastor Dave doesn't eat, man. Something's going on. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm fasting until I get to the third day, really, because I'm like a bear. I got a bunch of bear fat. <laughs> 24 hours doesn't do it for me. 48 hours on the third day, now I'm fasting. <laughs> now I'm fasting. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Thank God for praying people. Thank God for people that are in tune with the Spirit of God. Thank God that are on their knees praying. We need praying people. We need to bring prayer back in the church again. We need individuals praying. Do not stop praying for your leaders. Do not stop praying for your family. Do not stop praying for yourself. We need spirit-filled, born-again believers praying again for our nation. 
Whether you like Trump or not, you need to pray for him. Whether you like our government or not, you need to pray for it. You need to pray for America. You need to pray that God would give us a spirit of repentance, that we would turn our face towards him once again as a nation. Thank God for Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord, just ready. Huh? What if Jesus, what if Jesus, what if you heard the voice of God audibly? What would you do? Huh? What would you do? I've heard the voice of God audibly twice in my life. And I've never wanted to pee myself so bad. I almost lost all bladder control. The last time was in Mexico when Pastor Gary made me take the kids on a youth trip that I didn't want to do. And then I hear God call my name in Mexico, and I'm like, Lord, no, not Mexico. Lord, don't ever pray. God send me, God send me. Don't do that unless you're really ready to go because God's going to hear you. God's going to say, okay, I'm going to send you somewhere where you don't want to go. He said, Ananias, and he said to him, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Behold, he is praying. How do you know when a man is born again or a woman is born again? Behold, he is praying. Now I got his attention. Now he's seeing more clearly, even though I blinded him. For behold, he is praying. I wonder if God even heard his prayers before he got saved. He was very religious. Raised in the house of a Pharisee, was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Was taught by a great theologian, Pharisaical person. I I wonder if God heard his prayers. But now, behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he may receive his... I don't know why I'm laughing. It's just funny to me. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard him. I've heard about him from many people, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Now he's arguing with God. Uh, And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered his house, and laying, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he rose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But listen, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus 
is the Christ. My God, my God, my God. What has happened to Saul? What has happened? He's not the same. Why is he not the same? Because he met Jesus. One encounter with Jesus can change your trajectory for the rest of your life. One encounter with the living God can change your life forever. And we know that he went on to become the greatest of apostles. Nobody loved the church greater than him outside of Jesus Christ. Nobody did the things that he did outside of Jesus Christ like he did. He loved him some people of God. He went from murdering the church. He went from being a persecutor of the church. He went from being this. He went from being that. And now he's changed. And now he's born again. Listen, people of God, I told you before I came to Christ, I called on God to help me, but I didn't want to change. I call on God to help me, but I didn't want to change. 22, 23 years later, sometimes I call on God, but I still don't want to change. Why? Because somewhere deep in our heart, maybe not all of us, but some of us here, are still at war with God. Maybe God didn't move in the way that you thought he should move. Maybe he didn't heal in the way that you thought he should heal. Maybe he didn't do this. Maybe he did that. And it's one disappointment, one letdown, one thing after another. God has big shoulders. If you're disappointed with God, you can tell him. You can cry out to him. You know, the greatest travesty I think that a church or people of God could ever do is to hold back truth from our God. Tell God what's on your heart. I remember one time years ago, I was in my kitchen in San Leandro, and I was like, and you know, we we know the biblical terms, right? Be thankful in all things. Rejoice in all things. Give God honor in all things. Give God glory in all things. I was standing in my kitchen, had my hands raised. Lord, I thank you for my job. I thank you for this. I thank you for that. And I almost felt like God was like, what? And I thank you, God, because that's what the Bible says to do. But in my heart, I hated my job. I hated working around those people. I didn't, I want, I didn't want to be in office furniture anymore. I was tired of babysitting all those guys. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was lying, because I was. And God just had his arms crossed, waiting for me to tell the truth. Oh, God, you know what? No, I hate my job. I hate those guys. I I hate night jobs. They're making me get up. i got to go to work at 6, 7 o'clock. I hate this. I hate that. And I just told God everything. And then once I got up off the floor... Once I wipe my boogers and my tears, it's almost as if God says, now I can do something with you, David, because you're being honest with me. And as God is my witness, you know what he did? I went into work that night, an off shift, brother been in the back, against, you know what I'm talking about, an off shift, 7 o'clock at night, whistling, put my punch, t- punch the timer, and all of a sudden, man... The very next day, a salesman walked up to me, and this had never been done in the company up until that point. Hey, David, I've been thinking about you. I go, yeah, what have you been thinking about? 
because I've been thinking about a lot of things too. (laughs) I've been thinking like, I need to take your job because you don't know what you're doing, right? That's what was going on in my mind. He's all, David, I've been thinking about something. He goes, how, do you ever think about becoming a project manager? I said, hey, man, I'm not a pu- pencil pusher. I'm not a paper shuffler, but I knew that I could help because I knew everything about this business. I knew every nut, bolt. I knew how many men I needed. I knew how many trucks. He said, David, I want you to strongly consider being a project manager. And a week later, I got a promotion. I was the first person to go from the field into the office. I didn't even know. All I knew how to do, uh, this, is, this is like the late 80s, early 90s. All I knew how to do was turn on a, a computer. I didn't even know how to work a computer. And they said, David, don't worry. We got people around you that are going to help you. But you have experience, and I need somebody like you in the office. Because I was honest with God. Because I was honest with God. And my heart had begun to change. It's all about change. Every one of us want to change in 2020. None of us want to stay the same. I don't want to stay the same. You don't want to stay the same. God, help us. And not for the sake of change, but to be free. Don't you want to be free? One more little story, and then I'm going to pray for some people, and I'm going to close. Some time ago, about a year ago, my wife and Denise, my wife Denise and I were coming home from an event. I can't remember what we were doing. I say, honey, what if we lost the ability to be afraid? What if we lost the ability to be anxious? What if we lost that? There would be no more fear, no more anxiety. All there would be left is faith. And she looked at me and I looked at her and her little face went, like for a moment it was like, is it possible? And then the exhale came back down to reality. Do you know that there's a place in Christ where you can lose all fear and all anxiety? That's the change that you're looking for. To no longer be fearful. To no longer be anxious. To no longer hate yourself. To no longer hate others. The change that you've been waiting for is here in this house. And his name is Jesus. And if you will just take his hand, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Can I, can I tell you something, guys? The night that Jesus came to me, I was the filthiest person that I had known. I'd physically hurt people because of who I was was connected to. I hurt my family. I hurt my friends. Addicted to porn. Addicted to lust. Addicted to lying. Addicted to hatred. Addicted to cigarettes. I was filthy. God came and met me in my filth. September 25th, 1996. Stacks of porn underneath my bed. Videotapes 
all in the closet. I've been hooked on porn since I was eight years old. Eight years old, my innocence was taken away. I stumbled upon pornography and that was it. A couple years later, I find my dad's Hustler magazines and that was it. I was stuck. You see, the drugs were masking what was really going on. It was the lust in my heart. I'd become a person that I said I would never become. And I hated myself and I wanted to die. And in the midst of my filth, Jesus Christ comes into my room. He opens the door and says, I love you and I set you free. He loved the hell out of me. That night I was set free from an addiction. That night I was set free from porn. That night I was set free from anger. That night I was set free from murder. I was set free from hatred. I was set free from everything that I'd ever done my whole life. I was set free. I was born again. I was born again. It was the Word and the Spirit. I didn't know a sinner's prayer. I, didn't, I hadn't been to church since I was a little boy. I didn't know what to do. And I heard my grandfather's voice come back to my ear. I remembered, and he told me I was going to remember. He said, son, all you have to do if you ever get in trouble, you just call on the name of Jesus, and he promises to be there. And I called on Jesus. And when I said Jesus, all heaven hit my room, and I fell down, and I was delivered of demons. There was a witness there that night, her demons screaming out of me. It was a three-hour tussle, me and Jesus, repenting and reading and crying and repenting and reading and crying. And at the three-hour three tussle, I was born again after midnight. It started at midnight, and by 3 a.m. in the morning, I was set free. Jesus Christ is real.